1: Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3
2: 2023. Y98 percent the St. Louis City Soccer Report on America's Sports Voice. KMOX.
3: Hour two of the St. Louis City Soccer Report from our KMOX downtown studios. Nate Gattergen sees with you. George Ganser, former MLS and FIFA referee, joining us as Laws of the Game continues into our second hour, talking about City's 5-1 win over FC Cincinnati last night to improve to 18 points through eight games. Top of the Western Conference, top of the league on point total. Goals scored, goal difference, And when we get to the bottom of the hour, we'll be talking to Grace Restovich, 17-year-old stud, high school sophomore in the St. Louis area, plays for the under-17, I guess 16-year-olds, probably 16-year-old, plays for the under-17 youth national team, and uh, then Sam Moore of the Missouri Historical Society will be talking to us about uh, the soccer exhibit at the Missouri History Museum at 645. So lots of good stuff still to come on the St. Louis City Soccer Report tonight. George, we were talking about... How the game was refereed last night, the 26 fouls called against City in 90 minutes. How much of it also do you think, we've talked about it with individual players, we discussed it with Jared Stroud, who can be a little bit of a pest for City. He had, uh, I guess, the Gordie Howe hat trick last night of a goal and assist and a yellow card. Um, Is it possible for a team, especially one that is so dedicated to playing the high intensity press the way City are? to develop a reputation the same way that an individual can and and maybe start getting quicker whistles, especially in the press because it felt like in the second half, the whistles against cities forwards in particular were really quick.
4: Yeah, both happen, right? Bo- players get known to referees for certain types of tackles, certain things that they do. Sometimes, as much as certain times of the game, when you see a substitute come in, you know that that player's coming in to do a specific job. Um, you don't hold it against them. You don't preconceive that that's going to happen, but you know you're you're um, educated on what could happen or what's happened in the past. So, same thing with a team. Uh, the teams will get a reputation for. Uh, it's generalized. Of course, it's the team, but they'll get a reputation for cities going hard and they're going to play hard. And um, the referee's job is to set the tone and City's job, the player's job is to understand where that line is and then adapt to that line.
3: So we're going to talk more on Thursday night, by the way, special edition. The Cardinals are going to be off on Thursday. So if you want more St. Louis City soccer talk, you can join us for a special edition of the St. Louis City Soccer Report, 8 o'clock on Thursday night. We'll be with you 8 to 10 Thursday evening here on KMOX. And we'll be spending a lot more of those two hours looking ahead to the road game this coming Saturday on our sister station, Y98, 8 o'clock pregame Saturday, 830 kickoff when City traveled to take on the, of course, Cronky-owned Colorado Rapids, who are not having a very good season in a long uh, string of not very good seasons in uh, distant suburban Denver, out out there almost at the airport. that's a ways outside the City. Um, We talked about it briefly with John Nelson. It changes the game a little bit, playing at altitude. Now, City did it at Real Salt Lake earlier in the year, and it was not a problem. They won 4-0. For referees, especially referees who are maybe getting toward the end of their careers, let's say are getting uh, on the wrong side of 35, wrong side of 40 and doing a a healthy amount of running during the course of of a game. How do you handle, how much did it affect you and how much does it affect a, a, the standard referee to be doing a game in Salt Lake City or in Denver?
4: Well, I, I got to work a game in Colorado one time when it was my first game back from a little bit of a break because I was injured. <laughs> that do you think, was it was not particularly good. Was that the, the league's um, way of saying we want to see if George yeah. is really fit? Right, probably, <laughs> probably. Um, but uh, look, these these both the referees and the players are professional athletes. And I can 100% assure you that, that um, their fit, it, the altitude really truly doesn't impact them that much. If you go to do a game in Mexico City or Toluca that's at 8,000 feet, um, you're, you're uh, even, even uh, Colorado Springs, right? You go a little bit south in Colorado, then you're up another 2,200 feet, 3,000 feet from Denver. Um, that is an impact. You feel that. Um, but, but you don't feel the mile high so much. Um, you, you maybe get a little bit winded quicker, uh, but but you're fit. Your endurance is there. You're going to handle it. Uh, it's more of a mental thing than anything else.
5: Do they take you through that, though, uh, mentally? And maybe maybe times have changed a little bit. Like the focus on the mental game everywhere is a whole lot more where it should be. We're about 30 years behind training the mental game. Um, but the focus on that knowing and prepping referees for, hey, you're you're going into here. It's You're going to feel like this. And this is what you do to combat that or prepare for
4: it. Not particularly because the expectation is that you're fit. Uh, if you're not fit it's gonna show uh, and and I know my my biggest challenges in Colorado were always the first 10 to 15 minutes of the game um, just to adapt because you get there the day before you really don't have time to adapt to the altitude uh, you get out there you warm up it's okay it's not a big deal but it's you can feel it a little bit but Now, boom, you're sprinting, and especially if everything's in your end for the first 10 to 15 minutes, when you're focused and you're physically active and your heart rate's at 165 for two or three minutes, um, you can feel it. It's an impact.
3: So I was going to ask you, you mentioned only getting there a day before. Nothing was different. You know, I, I was thinking maybe that they could do you a solid and get you there maybe two days before if you're going somewhere
5: else oh, no. no, They didn't then, anyway. It,
4: it's an expectation. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, Mexico City. I did two games in Mexico City in Estadio Azteca, uh, Azteca, and um, you can feel that. It's it's I think it's 7,700 feet or 7,500 feet, something like that. Um, but you can absolutely feel that. And so – Uh, For World Cup qualifiers, you go in two days before the game, but that's still not enough time to adapt to that. It's an expectation that you are fit enough to handle it.
3: What is, this is unrelated, what is the thing you miss the most about
4: refereeing? Uh, honestly, Leaving home. The, no, two, <laughs> Wait, two, <what>? two things that's <laughs> not family related, unfortunately. <laughs> um, the, the, the first one is the camaraderie with the referees. Um, it's really a cool family and, uh, everybody goes through the same ups and downs and when, you know, when somebody messes up and when they're down and, and it's hard. Uh, because you're out there to do the best well, job you're that you can do and team. get it right. You're and your own team. There's you are. A,
5: there's a third team. It's the, the referee team and yeah. nobody's on your side, but you're a team.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the second thing that I, I miss probably just as much is walking out of the tunnel in a stadium that's full and it is unbelievable. I talked about it last week with Seattle. Um, I get goosebumps when I think about their their uh, thunderclap or boom, boom, clap they, that they do as you're walking out and have some cool music playing and, um, but just different stadiums. But when you, you
5: said city was second to none. Do you stand by I that? I did, absolutely. Okay, so
4: last weekend or the last time they played at home, I got to be the referee liaison and sit down there and it's it's loud. It's really loud and it is really cool. Very cool. That is cool. We want
5: to do more. So I, I don't know if this is, we could say this for another time, but one thing that I haven't seen around the league right now, but often is a misconception in soccer, um, whether it's at the pros level and at the youth level, is protection of keepers in the box. So there, <laughs> so there is oftentimes different you, about a you, verbal vacation home. You always have the whole place to yourself. Okay, all right. I want to go on vacation. Right. <laughs> so there's often a misconception that that there is some kind of special protection because it's a keeper and don't touch the keeper. But that's not true.
4: That is not true. No. Um, you, you're you're going to protect goalkeepers for sure. You're going to keep them from getting hammered because they're in a precarious position How and you, it's more uh, about as player a safety.
5: Or, I mean, defenders do that. As uh, defenders, we protect our... As our, a referee, our, yeah, okay. for
4: sure. Um, but, but just because a goalkeeper gets bumped doesn't make it a foul. Um, just because a goalkeeper can't get to a ball... Doesn't make it a foul. And so
5: And goalkeepers can foul people in their you, own box.
4: Yeah, correct? I've heard a lot of people say, you know, the goalkeeper should be aggressive and just go over the top of them to get the ball. Um that could end up in a penalty. You can do it, but it could end up in a penalty. Because I've it,
5: heard on the youth sidelines people going, hey, it's a goalkeeper's in their box they can't
4: fall. I'm like, that's not true. Not you true. can fall. Not true. You can absolutely follow the And again, the goalkeeper can foul and Create a penalty and draw
5: their own um, PK. <laughs>
4: but yeah, ho- well, hopefully at the youth level, the goalkeepers are aggressive and they do learn that. Um, but they take it as a learning lesson, as opposed to um, you know yelling at the referee for getting it wrong because it's it is not an easy thing to call, especially at the youth level. It's a lot easier at the professional level, and um, you know y- you have people out there that are real close yelling at you on the youth t- on the youth sides.
3: Well, George, we appreciate you as always. Another successful laws of the game on a on a Sunday evening here on KMOX. I think that's gonna just about do it for our conversation about St. Louis City. Uh, five one A 5-1 win over FC Cincinnati. Now six wins, two losses from their first eight games. Uh, just before we totally wrap that up, I do want to just provide anybody with an update in case they uh, hadn't heard since we discussed it last week. Actually, Sporting Kansas City, still zero wins. Uh, they have drawn three games out of eight. He has they have, a grudge. <laughs> they have three points. All season, they've scored two goals.
5: Soccer capital, anyone?
3: City have scored 20 <laughs> goals. 20. The most fraudulent city in America, Kansas City, Kansas. Ooh. Go ahead, bring it. May twentieth, they are going to get walloped, and I'm going to love it. So that's going to that. You know that now we're good. I just had to get that out of there before we transition. We're going to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team next because that feels like a long time ago. It was only five days I know, ago.
5: I know it's hard to. I was like, oh, that was just Tuesday.
3: <laughs> so they were here playing uh, what you'd have to say was a bit of a snoozer against Ireland, but it they was. did win one nil and. Uh, Jen was there, and we will talk about it with her before we talk to U.S. Youth National Team player Grace Restovich, who's representing St. Louis, uh, part of a really good crop of young girls players in their teenage years here in the area who we might be seeing joining Becky Sauerbrunn or at least following up Becky Sauerbrunn with a women's national team at some point in the future. You're listening to the St. Louis City Soccer Report on KMOX.
2: 98, St. Louis City Soccer Report continues on America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: St. Louis City Soccer Report rolls on. we got about 10 minutes before we're joined by Grace Restovich of the United States Under-17 Girls National Team. She has been tearing it up uh, as well for St. Louis Scott Gallagher, a, uh, a Visitation Academy student in the St. Louis area. We're really excited to talk to Grace But uh, before we do, the perfect lead into that, and one of the things we'll talk about with her, is the United States women's national team making their first trip to St. Louis since 2019, playing, of course, for the first time ever at City Park last Tuesday, a 1-0 win over Ireland in what will probably turn out to be their penultimate tune-up before the World Cup. As George predicted just last week, they have added one more send-off game, potentially a couple (laughs) more, but they have at least one date. In July as well and of course the players will be in the NWSL uh, getting geared up as well for the World Cup coming up in July in uh, Australia and New Zealand and I believe it'll stretch into August I think it's late July they'll they'll kick that off it was an uninspired performance not necessarily a bad one I didn't feel that Ireland really threatened them a whole lot Mm -hmm. at the same time the U.S. scored their only goal from Alana Cook on her birthday her first international goal all great not a a shot really I mean just a ball she yeah. intended to serve into the box and that caught the keeper off her line and great it ends up at the back of the net but I think probably that that game could have very easily been nil nil and that would really get the alarm bells going
5: it would have I, I really um it would have been awesome I know they They. It, it looked like probably a good setup but it would have been awesome for Becky to to score that header I mean it was beautiful it was beautiful just her first goal ever right that would have been awesome you could
3: argue that was the us the best chance the us had in the whole game even counting the goal that yeah. that was a better chance and a better scoring opportunity and and uh, yeah would have been amazing so, 217 appearances if her first goal by was then, in right yeah. right
5: um, and and I'll, and, uh, and i had, she had a great talk she like there's a reason she's a captain right she is definitely a stalwart and anchor on the team um and so i'll see a few things that are unpopular so as the only female in this room at this moment. And I had a great time. It was awesome. One, I was there as a fan. I wasn't working. So that was great. I sit with my daughters. That was also great. Um, with some friends. Great. I also love the fact that I was sitting around people. We're right behind uh, the goal. Not the Luligan's end. So I don't do the north-south thing. Whatever end. The other end. Other than that end. And so I was with... George, stop laughing. <sighs> I, I was... That's the in south and, end for the record. Yeah, okay. South, south end. And um, I had a great time because there was a bunch of people around me that were like, oh, have you been here? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've been for and and it was their first game. So they 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 don't have tickets to city. They hadn't experienced the stadium before. And so to see the glee and the like excitement and just like the wow and the like how awesome getting to see that again. And then in a different environment for a different team at at who are all great athletes. That that part was that part was really fun.
3: Yeah, no, I, I was, it was really, it's a cool experience. And, and the reason that, you know, we talked about it and I shared my thoughts on just how expensive those tickets were and yeah. why I think that that's a, you know, it's unfortunate. The reason they're so expensive though, is because of not only the high quality soccer they play, but of the cultural relevance of the team and what Absolutely. it means for people to be able to put their kids, especially their girls in the stands to watch that team play. And, and that's, you know, regardless of what happens on the field, I mean, as long as they win, but regardless of how it looks, (laughs) uh, you know, that's not, it's going to be a success for the city and for everybody who's there regardless. And like you said, it's an unusual situation too where one of those games You'd have people there who have never been in the stadium yeah, before. Yeah,
5: I wasn't, I just wasn't thinking that. And I thought, oh, God, it's really interesting. So they were asking, like, like just really great questions. Like, is it the same for the city games? I'm like, yeah, it's actually, there's a Luligan. They had cheering sections, but the Luligans make it completely different. And they were really excited and hoped to get tickets to city one day. Yeah, so I imagine
3: the, it was a more mellow it, atmosphere. It was a
5: little bit, it was very exciting. It was very celebratory. Um, then, you know,
4: w- and you look like you're. For the talk. record, that's the American Outlaws.
5: Oh, the American Outlaws. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So that was awesome. And uh, now, when it comes to purely dissecting the game, so, no, it, it's not it's not World Cup-level game. We weren't playing World Cup-level game,
3: I hope. It's not. And, and um, even if the U.S. player pool is depleted, it wasn't a World Cup-level team that was called up. To absolutely,
5: absolutely not, and not one that we were playing. I mean, they would be on the World Cup, but not the the top brass that we right. would be playing. And And, you know, I'm taking these words straight from George. He's sitting across from me. I think he's correct when he says, you know, for a long time now— you know the world, the rest of the world has been running in this game, and and the U.S. has been walking. And so we don't have our 99ers. We don't have that kind of team. We don't have. I oh, don't. We never got the team for Carly Lloyd. We don't have a name for them. The Carly Lloyd that time, that magic, it's not. It can, it can come. It's not there. And you know, yeah, I know people were really upset. I was too to see Becky leave the field. But as a you know former coach, I'm like, yeah, get her off the field. Let's not get her hurt. We need her for. The, the important things we also need her for she's she's responsible for her league team <laughs>
7: as well.
3: Certainly. And, and you know, we saw how devastating uh, a high profile injury can be with the yeah. uh, Mallory Swanson, formerly uh. Mallory Pugh, going down with a patellar tendon. They haven't ruled her out
5: yet. Really? Still being OK, I didn't know that
3: A possibility for oh. the World Cup. I have a hard time thinking she can make it back uh, in particular and be anything close to herself. Um there are some other injury questions, you know, Megan Rapinoe set out these games. She's right. expected to be good to go for the World Cup, but how many minutes can she really give you yeah. at her age? She's been fading now for a number of years uh, in her effectiveness. As age will
5: do. And I, I watched I in in stunned, yeah, as a as a person who's played and who's aged and who's had children, I watch Ertz out there and I love her to pieces, but in all fairness, She's she not she doesn't move the same way. You don't, you don't okay, she had a baby in August. Let's be clear. You don't move the same way. So she's still a stud. She's out there giving it to the <laughs> handing it to the younger players. But watching her battle and, and knowing that battle personally, like homage, but it's it's not the same.
3: Yeah, it's gonna be critical that she finds a club in the NWSL, which hopefully will happen yes, please. imminently. Yes, please. Because she needs to get some games in. Uh, between now and July just to get her fitness to to the best it can be. I think if you get an 80% Julie Ertz, she can really help the team. A 60% Julie Ertz is just not – nobody's 60% is going to get it done at the World Cup. Um, No Sam Ewis. She's been dealing with one injury after another for a long time now. Mm -hmm. Abby Dahlkemper has been hurt. Uh, Katarina Macario is trying to work her way back from an injury. She could be really key in the absence of Mallory Swanson. And then, you know, the likes of Kristen Press, uh, who's just kind of fallen off the national team radar in part because of injuries. Tobin Heath has been hurt a lot. Right. And, and Europe really has not agreed with her. It, it feels like just that generation getting older and falling apart. And the younger generation, for the most part, is still finding its footing. We've they seen are, flashes little, from Macario,
5: yeah, flashes from Smith, yeah.
3: flashes from Pew and she was just finally getting
5: i know yeah uh, and, and so like you see it, i think what we do is we look it could be really exciting in in the next in the next time or two but it's going to take a while i think
3: we'll talk about it more i'm sure as we get close to women's world cup
5: In fact, somebody who, you know, could be on that radar for the, you know, future. We got to name these, you know, the 99ers and that other group needs a name. We got to name them. Well, you can think about it. Okay. I think Grace can. Grace can.
3: (laughs) We can. Yeah. We can ask her. You know, Grace, that's, those are her 99ers. That's right. I agree. Grace wasn't even alive for the 99ers. That's
5: right. (laughs) Oh, come (laughs) on, Nate.
3: I know. I know. know. Um, Yeah. So we're going to talk to Grace in just a moment. Uh, The last thing I'll say before, and we'll talk about more of it when we get closer to the Women's World Cup. I think. My bold take right now, I'm not confident that the women's national team even makes it to the semis. Wow. I just, I don't see it right now. They're just not very good. They're not that talented.
5: Do you think we've been able to, though, see enough of them together? Like, we get to see them in pieces, and we've seen them in friendlies. Those are not real games. They
3: get, like, one more game together. Two more games together. This
4: is it. then they go train, right, You know what I love about this? Is there's an opportunity for several new stars to come to the... To the top now, they better and, and mm-hmm. present themselves.
3: Yeah. They better. I don't. I. I be worried about Sweden. Be worried about Germany. Worried about England. They look good in the Euros. I
5: Becky, I think mentioned um, Portugal was she thought was kind of a sleeper, uh, meaning <laughs> Netherlands always out. good. I ne- mean, yeah, Netherlands were the ones that we had had gotten past to win <sighs> last. So
3: yeah. Well, um, we'll talk about this a lot more. Clearly, we have a lot yeah, more to discuss this. Yeah, we got a little time to watch we gotta, some. We got to get to break. So this is my fault. We <laughs> got to get to break so that we can get poor Grace uh, on the phone and discuss uh, all kinds of things. Get her thoughts on this. We'll have Grace Restovich when we return. This is the St. Louis City Soccer Report on KMOX. The Y ninety
2: eight St. Louis City Soccer Report continues on America's Sports Voice KMOX.
3: Our final half hour of the St. Louis City Soccer Report this evening on KMOX. Nate Anderson, C back with you, and we are joined now by Grace Restovic, a, a local St. Louis kid who has been making waves with the U.S. Youth National Team at the under seventeen level. Most recently, Grace, how you doing?
8: Good, how are you?
3: Thank uh, you so much for having me. We are great. We're glad to have you on. Thanks for making some time for us. Grace, uh, first of all, we were just talking before the break about the U.S. Women's National Team here last Tuesday night. I'm told that you were there at the game at City Park. What was that like for you and, and some of your teammates to get to see uh, the Women's National Team up close and personal at our new stadium?
8: Yes, I was there. Um, it was absolutely awesome. Being able to see like your role, mo- role models in person was so cool. I even got the um, opportunity to meet Rose Lavelle, and she's my favorite player. So that was so cool.
5: And, you know, Grace, uh, Jen here and, and your I'll, your mom's probably tell you, Michelle McCarthy, your mom and I played. Well, I played against her. I didn't like her a whole lot then, but I liked her when I played with her. <laughs> that was a whole lot better. She gave me the ball then. She kept the ball away from me when we played against each other. <laughs> so yeah. as, as you as a midfielder, I know you've had your time with St. Louis. Scott Gallagher had a had a great, you know, young career so far. Sweden last year with the U-16 national team. England this year with the U-17 national team. What great experiences to to do on a, you know, semi-youth professional level and then enjoy the game at a fan level. Um, when you were watching the U.S. women team, I mean, when we've played, we see the game game with a little bit of a different eye. What would you think of the game?
8: I mean, definitely so cool to see, like, your role models in person. Yeah. And being able to witness that and, like, you can see it, you can believe it. So being able to see that was so cool. But, I mean, it's awesome to see them, like, keep progressing and stuff and, like, prepare for the World Cup. And, obviously, having their game come to St. Louis was so cool. And, I mean, just seeing those players has been awesome and being able to experience that moment was so cool. For like I know myself, my teammates, and my family was awesome.
5: Yeah, and I think too, awesome to see the chance for an Alyssa Thompson, right, to come in. We're so sorry to see see Swanson get hurt. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. We hope she can make it back, but then sometimes those doors close and then opens for others, and I know that you're on a similar track. Is that something that you think about already yet? Oh, definitely it's something that I would love
8: to do. And like, if that happened, that would be a dream come true. And seeing Alyssa Thompson like pave way, pave like that is really good for the women's game and like the youth level. And just seeing her like go through the youth national team and like her play on the U17 national team where I'm at right now, it's it's inspiring for a player like me who has ambitions to do that too.
3: Yeah. Speaking of those ambitions, obviously you have a lot ahead of you in the next few years with with continuing to develop, potentially uh, you know playing in college and and trying to work your way up mm-hmm. uh, continually through the the national team ranks. When you talk to somebody like Rose Lavelle, I mean, especially Rose, she you know was not the uh, the highly touted prospect that you are getting the accolades on the youth national team in her teenage years. And she surprised everybody, and, right? She surprised a lot of people at Wisconsin and sort of came out of nowhere to, to burst onto the national mm-hmm. scene at the at the 2019 World Cup. What advice did she share, if any, for you at this stage of your career about trying to follow in her footsteps?
8: Her her biggest advice was because she didn't have like the those experiences when she was younger, but it was definitely just to keep dreaming and stuff. She's like, I'm never the biggest girl. I was never the fastest player, but, like, if you can dream it, it can be it. And she said she would go to all these games and stuff, and it's definitely, like, something she wanted to do when she was older. And she said, like, if you just focus on it and believe you can do it, then, like, anything's possible, which I think that's the coolest thing to hear when you're younger because, obviously, being on the full women's national team is something most kids like would love to ha- for that to happen, and just hearing those words come out of her mouth and see that happen for her was really awesome.
5: That's awesome, Grace. And and I think, too, and I don't know if you realize this, but, you know, being um, a mother of some some young girls who, who are a little younger than you and would like to play at your level already, I don't know if you realize that you yourself are probably a role model for many in your club at St. Louis Scott Gallagher in the youth national teams that are younger than you. Do you have any advice for, you know, you already know, right, what a long road this is. It doesn't happen overnight, Um, the the times you get called up, the times you go back, the times you then get called again and maybe you don't get called the next time. Any advice that you might have for those, those young girls, you know, just maybe a little younger than you might be on your same track for, for how you navigate this kind of journey.
8: Yeah, it's definitely a crazy journey because like you said, like, you never know if you're going to call back, if that was your last camp, if that was the first of many. So definitely like focusing on like yourself and like, on how like you plan to become like a better player and person too, because um, I'm the captain of my team and I take pride in like being a great teammate and stuff. So I feel like taking like a look at yourself and understanding that it's not just about the game too, but more so like your how you are as a player. And like Rose said that too, she was saying that like, if you just focus on your game and stuff and like continue to develop that, like, it's not all about like, Oh, when, if I can make the next camp, it's about like a bigger picture and stuff. And, I think my biggest advice would be, like, just stay patient in, like, the game and stuff. And if you put your work into it, if you stay constant with your effort and stuff and you can focus on yourself and that's, like, a big thing and stuff, I, like, like, that was the biggest thing for me was just staying constant in, like, your work ethic and stuff.
3: Joined by uh, St. Louis area U.S. youth national team stud Grace Restovich, who, who is with us here on the St. Louis City Soccer Report. Grace, before we have to let you go, sort of talking about, we're talking about progression and taking one step and the next step and the next step Mm -hmm. because on the one hand there's a long way between you and what was happening at City Park last Tuesday night with the senior women's national team. On the other hand really not as far as maybe it seems right now. So when you try to break that journey down and when you focus on what's the next step, the next step what's the next big goal for you? What are you most focused on right
2: now?
8: Right now um, I'm in my spring season with my club team, St. Louis, Scott Gallagher and last year, obviously, some crazy things happened. We won a national championship, and we've taken steps this spring to make sure we're ready for that. So we are preparing for um, our nationals this summer and end of June. So that's definitely our main focus because we have really big ambitions to go back-to-back, and it's definitely something our club has instilled in us. It's just being a team full of like, great players and great teammates but then also like really hungry to win. So... So it's definitely something that I'm focused on. I know a lot of my teammates are all focused on that because we love each other. We love our team, love our club, and we wouldn't want nothing else than just to win another national championship.
5: That's awesome. Hey, Grace, I know we don't yet have. I got to talk to Becky Sauerbrunn before she came in, and, and she, I kind of like got her to sort of maybe promise that maybe when she was done playing, maybe she'd be an NWSL coach. How cool would that be to have her in St. Louis? Because we need our own team, right? Yes, I
8: know. I've been talking about that, especially uh, with how well City's been doing. Right, would be so cool to have a new USL team. So, yes. what,
5: when we don't have one right now, do you have a favorite?
8: Oh, I definitely watch around. I mean, following. I like to follow out of the USA players, but just seeing them do so well is really inspiring and stuff. And then definitely having St. Louis City do so well be absolutely amazing. If we could have a new USL team here.
3: Well, Grace, we're counting on you when that St. Louis NWSL team does arrive. We're signing you, Grace. Our our first captain, Grace Restovich, all right? right. Don't forget us.
8: That would be awesome. Oh, my
3: gosh. That's what we're counting on. Grace, thanks so much for joining us.
8: Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Thank you.
3: Grace Restovich, under-17, U.S. International Visitation Academy student here in the St. Louis area and a national champion at St. Louis, Scott Gallagher in the ECNL last year, the first national championship that uh, Scott Gallagher has ever had in the ECNL. So uh, big congratulations to her and Gallagher and the U.S. youth system. And we're looking forward to the big things out of Grace and out of uh, some of the other teenage girls in the St. Louis area who are contributing in a major way in the U.S. youth system. Talk a little bit more about some of the St. Louis soccer history. There's a lot of it in this city and a new exhibit, Soccer City, open at the Missouri History Museum. We'll talk to Sam Moore, the Managing Director for Public History with the Missouri Historical Society. When we get back, this is the St. Louis
2: City Soccer Report on KMOX. St. Louis City Soccer Report continues on America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
3: The final segment of this week's St. Louis City Soccer Report coming your way on a Sunday evening from our downtown KMOX studios. Nate Gatter, Jen Cease with you. Of course, if you're looking for more St. Louis City Soccer Report, you have your wish this week. We'll be back from 8 to 10 Thursday evening right here on KMOX. Hope you'll join us. We'll turn our attention A little bit more to what's going on around the rest of the league and looking ahead to City's matchup next Saturday against Colorado as they try to retain their spot atop Major League Soccer. But rather than looking forward on Thursday night, we're going to spend these final few minutes looking backward this evening at uh, some of the history around St. Louis. We're joined now with soccer, of course. We're joined now by Sam Moore of the Missouri Historical Society to talk about the Soccer City exhibit that opened last Saturday at the Missouri History Museum eight days ago. Sam, thanks so much for joining us.
7: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me tonight.
3: Obviously, we don't need to tell listeners of this show that St. Louis has a lot of soccer history, but you don't often see it represented in a professional manner like this by people who are maybe more historians than they are soccer people, or at (laughs) least are bringing some historical expertise to the conversation. What was the idea behind this exhibit?
7: Yeah, I think you nailed it in your description. We have certainly learned a lot at the Missouri Historical Society over the past. Several months as we've researched this exhibit and gotten ready to open what really is, as far as we know, the first full retrospective look at St. Louis's really rich 150-year soccer history, starting all the way back in 1875 and going all the way up through last night's really, really impressive performance on the field.
5: Sam, I really love the fact that it's not just called a soccer exhibit. It's called Soccer City. And so I think this also leads nicely into a slight edit to the banner. Could we put soccer capital? Because I think then that could like deflate anything that Kansas City tries to tries to claim. I think that would be I like awesome. that a lot.
7: <laughs> I like that a lot. And you're not the first. To suggest, So there's say, background it, support. <laughs> there's background support. There's a lot of energy around that. Here's the thing. I think, um, you know, Casey's a great sports town, certainly a great soccer town. When you look at St. Louis, though, right, we have this incredible tradition of soccer here in the St. Louis region. Uh, we start kids early playing soccer. We have tens of thousands of kids playing soccer through leagues like the CYC, and historically, we've had CYC, we've had the cutest leagues. It's tough to grow up as a young person in St. Louis and not play soccer at some point. And I say that as someone who grew up in the St. Louis region and as someone who is not terribly sports inclined um, and uh, and as someone who played soccer as a kid. And so we've got this incredible through line. Again, the first soccer game in St. Louis is in 1875. Two teams of lawyers show up at the Grand Avenue baseball park um, that would later become Sportsman's Park. One team splits into a team called the Brunettes, one team splits into a team called the Blondes, and they go head-to-head in what (laughs) the St. Louis Globe Democrat newspaper calls a kicking game. Um, And then, you know, we've got the Stars. We've got uh, uh, the Ambush. We've got the incredible St. Louis FC. We've got St. Louis City FC making history on a few different fronts. Um, There's a pretty compelling narrative here for, for St. Louis as America's soccer capital. I'm on board with that.
3: Yeah, so I don't want to make this entire interview about my agenda with respect to the <laughs> St. Louis Kansas City rivalry because I've I've sure. derailed enough of the show as it is. But can you lend uh, your official historical expertise and I tell mean, us historically, I think. And tell us the fir- where the first mention was, where or historically who has owned the moniker of America's soccer capital just just to That's definitively a good
7: question. lay it out. Uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly going to come out in favor of St. Louis on this one. Nah, um, right. Again, Our first recorded soccer game in 1875. We also have one of the first recorded instances of uh, anywhere of women playing soccer in St. Louis in 1909. Um, You know, the, the when we have the thing is, when you look at our history, when we have a major team, when we have a team, people can rally around. St. Louisans come out and they rally around it, right? We see that in the fifties with the stars fifties and sixties with the stars. We see that in the seventies and the eighties. Um, we see that uh, most recently with St. Louis FC. And we're certainly seeing it now with St. Louis city FC.
3: You know, Sam, I, I, now that we've tried to, you know, get you to, Matt, to line up with our agenda, we didn't give you a lot of warning that you <laughs> yeah, were going to be using Yeah, we didn't, we didn't give you a lot of warning. I know historians don't like to be used as propaganda, but we just did for the first few minutes. So I want to leave it more open-ended now and give you a chance to do, you know, historian things. So I know the amount of, <laughs> the amount of research that goes into something like yeah. this is incredible. When you and your team and everybody else there were pouring through all of these documents and all this history to put this exhibit together, what was the coolest thing or the coolest couple of things that you found that, that just resonated with you?
7: Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Um, so, so this is really an exhibit that is built with us by community. So there are 40 artifacts in this exhibit The vast majority of those, really all of those, are sourced from the community. We don't have a very deep collection of soccer artifacts at the Missouri Historical Society. We've got incredible pictures. We've got incredible footage. We have some incredible footage of uh, historic soccer games here in the area that Showcased inside the exhibit, we've got documents, we've got newspapers, um, and the community really came out and helped us out with jerseys. Right, jerseys from folks like SLU high grad Taylor Twelman, from folks like Maryville University soccer coach and history maker in our own right, Lori Kolopny, um, Becky Sauerbrunn, right, um, a history maker who you know is, is still making history on the field as a St. Louisan. Um, you know, when we look at one of my very favorite stories. From the exhibit, and it's one that if you're at all kind of vaguely plugged into St. Louis soccer history, you'll know the story. So when we look at the 1950 World Cup, right, where the United States was never really a contender to win the World Cup, Uh, no one was really taking that seriously, but we beat the United States beats England in a surprise upset, uh, knocking England as the favorite to win the World Cup out or really early on. Um, and when we do that, there are five St. Louisans on the field for that match. Five of them, and there was another one waiting on the sideline. Six St. Louisans were in, uh, were there for the game. And so the the you know I, I could I could go on for a while with some of these stories. There's some really terrific ones. That's
5: fantastic, Sam. And I'm actually on the website right now, MoHistory.org, and in the soccer um, city. Uh, uh, exhibit section. And also the events I just want to speak to the events starting April 25th and I, I just keep scrolling I and mean, there are all these separate events. Can you talk a little bit more about like kind of what people should do, what should people should plan for to see and how to get involved?
7: Absolutely. So this exhibit is open for a long time. Uh, It opened last weekend. It's going to be open all through this upcoming St. Louis City SC season. It'll be open into February of next year. So we've got a long time to talk soccer, and there's a heck of a lot to talk about. We're going to start on April 25th. Uh, We have a daytime program. Dave Lang, who wrote a book called Soccer Made in St. Louis, A History of the Game and America's First Soccer Capital. So again, St. Louis as America's First Soccer Capital um, is going to be with us. Uh, It's a really terrific book. He has some really terrific insights into the evolution of soccer in St. Louis. Um, We've got tours. We've got storytelling for family groups, for kiddos who are going to be out of school soon. Um, We have uh, coming up in uh, July, again, Dave Lang is going to be with us for an evening program focusing on St. Louis as America's Soccer Capital. Um, And what you're going to see over the course of the next few months is is that those programs continue to line up. We're going to have local St. Louis soccer stars in. We're going to continue to work with our partners at St. Louis City SC to make sure that we are, you know, we're the place where St. Louis is having its most exciting conversations about soccer in 2023 and early twenty four.
3: Well, Sam, that is fantastic. Certainly, we're going to be getting out there, and we hope many other people will. We also appreciate your great attitude about uh, our <laughs>
7: leveraging your expertise. Anytime. Anytime, anytime you want to talk, uh, talk up St. Louis, the Missouri Historical Society is going to be there, there for you. you
3: well, that was fantastic. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Have a great night.
7: Thank you, my friends.
3: That's Sam Moore from the Missouri Historical Society talking about the new Soccer City exhibit at the Missouri History Museum. You heard it. It's going to be open for another 10 months until February of next year. Talking soccer and its rich history here in St. Louis. He allowed us to propagandize him just a little bit. And that's exactly what we're here for. It's in a
5: museum. It's in a book. I think it's official.
3: I think um, I'm thinking Thursday because I feel bad when I shoehorn it into so many other segments. I think we need to devote an entire segment just to um, discussion of Kansas City. Prior
5: to that game, we will.
3: Yeah. That's oh, if that's going to be a nightmare of a show, I, d- I don't know if you guys even want to be here. I'm going to be a loose cannon. <laughs>
5: i i want to be here then
2: yes, I, <laughs> do. I do i
3: <laughs> do well that is all for us this evening another two hours has flown by with you our good friends here on kmox for gen cease and uh, all of our guests most notably george gansner also dale shilley john nelson grace restovich and sam moore and kyle sixta who has kept us on the air all evening here at our downtown and studios. guess where i'm going
5: i gotta go to a kids game tonight 7 yeah, 30
3: <laughs> we're grassroots through and through baby The St. Louis City Soccer Report, again, has come your way tonight here on KMOX. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you'll be with us on Thursday evening, 8 to 10, and again next Sunday. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the St. Louis City Soccer Report on KMOX.
6: Brands like Stearns and Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment. Down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.
2: We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing, and once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.